Hi, and welcome to And If Love Remains. I'm your host, Mike Lovett, and we have a very special episode today. Again, I have co-hosting with me, Dr. Elias Axel Pedersen. Welcome to the show, Elias. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Mike. It's going to be a lot of fun today. I think so. I think so. We have several guests and and uh, exciting. This is, uh, I don't know, maybe the it's first, first, I think. Like, yeah, that we've had more than, than one guest at a time. Um, but uh, we have uh, the, the, uh, the, the hosts, plural, of the Piano Pod podcast. Um, we have uh, Yukimi, Clara, and Eric. I want to welcome you guys to the show. And, and, and Yukimi, why don't you start with us and, and kind of give us a little bit about your background and then we'll kind of take it around and, and let everybody introduce themselves and, and we'll go from there. All right. Um, this is Yukimi. Hi, everyone. Nice to meet you. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I am a piano teacher. I'm a pianist. And I um, currently I live in Brooklyn, New York. And um, I met Clara and Eric through this uh, thing called the Open Forum. And we can talk about it more. But um, anyway, I, I, I teach piano lessons to students from um, four and five to, to older students. And uh, I, I, um, uh, I, I love to play romantic era, romantic period uh, literature. And I'm, yeah, so that's who I am. Awesome. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Clara, what about you? Tell us Thank a little you. bit about yourself. Sure. Hi. Thank Hello. you so much, Mike and Elias, right? Elias, yeah. Oh, and by the way, you're, you're coming in from Milan just for all those listeners. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's right. I just arrived a few hours ago. First time here. I didn't wow. get lost. Almost. <laughs> I couldn't make it on the plane yesterday. So it took me two days to get here. But I'm here and just taught a lesson so I am also uh, a good friend of us Yukimi and Eric and we met a while back and we started our podcast last year it's only been a year but we have been working so hard and we're so excited uh, so again same normally I'm uh, located on the Upper East Side and uh, I'm a classical concert pianist originally from China but uh, well, like you said, right now I'm traveling around the world and uh, taking my uh, foldable piano with me. <laughs> so wow. I will spend a month in Europe and still teaching and hosting. So that's me. That's Thank wonderful. you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Eric, <laughs> tell, tell us about yourself. Now you're, I guess, uh, friends with Elias. That's right. Yeah, my name is Eric Hunter, and Elias and I go way back to undergrad, which I don't even want to talk about how long ago that was now. <laughs> I just can't believe it. But Elias is one of my oldest and best friends. And actually, we met as stand partners in orchestra yeah. back when we were both violinists as well as oh, pianists. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and then Those we were the through... dark ages, huh, Elias? Yeah. <laughs> 98. I'm going to date us. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my oh, God. God. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Elias. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we're, we're really close friends, and uh, we've supported each other throughout the years, always bouncing off ideas about music and piano yep. and life. And, uh, and right now, I'm based in New York with Clara and Yukini. I live on the Lower East Side, and I'm a classical pianist um, and composer and teacher. 
Oh, wonderful. Well, all of you, thank you so much for being on the show. Eric, I want to start a little bit with you um, because um, uh, you came, kind of mentioned this, the, the uh, open forum, I, yeah. I think it's what's called. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and how you guys met? Okay. Yeah, sure. So basically I started this initiative called open forum a few years ago because I wanted to meet other piano teachers. Um, I had been living in New York city for a few years at that point and um, teaching my uh, in my private studio. And I felt very isolated and I felt a real need to see what other teachers were doing and just talk about our students and have some kind of a community. So I thought, well, what if I just get a bunch of people together over breakfast or something and we just chat because musicians always have so much to talk about. Um, so I started this group called Open Forum uh, under the auspices of the Piano Teachers Congress of New York, which is our local teachers group. And, uh, and it was quite successful. We always have really, really good conversations. There's usually a topic of the month. We meet once a month. And uh, it was through that that I met Yakimi and Clara, who were two of my regulars and biggest supporters and now best friends. Um, That's right. And, uh, and just to quickly make a note that during the pandemic, we moved to Zoom, of course, rather than meeting in person. And so once I started doing that, people could join from all over. And I'm planning on expanding that next mm. year. And uh, so I hope anybody who's listening, who's a piano teacher and interested in joining, will look us up and uh, join a meeting. Um, but it was because of Open Forum that Yukimi got the idea to start our podcast, The Piano Pod. And I'll let Yukimi talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Sure. Can I, uh, so may I continue? Please. Yeah. So um, before, um, so I have been a, a regular attendee of Eric's Open Forum for several years, but also I wanted to do podcasting for such a long time. I mean, uh, somebody suggested me to do this like 10, 12 years ago. And then I was like, the first time I heard it, like podcast, what? But these days, podcasting is like everybody does almost. But, you know, it, it wasn't like that before. So I wasn't sure. Then, you know, fast forward, um, pandemic hit. And uh, I wanted to start a show about my piano students. And I actually had two or three episodes of that. But then after all, I only have so many piano students, so I can't continue right after <laughs> after sustainable 20 episodes. And then can you imagine interviewing 10 year old? Like, what are you going <laughs> to talk about? Right? <laughs> like, how are you? How are you? I'm good. That kind of thing. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so I mean, it was great. It was fun. And then but so I was like, you know what? I meet with Eric and Clara, like monthly at least, and talk about great stuff, like about music, about piano. And then uh, we are, three of us are piano teachers and pianists, and we encounter this frustration of, okay, there's this beautiful tradition of classical music or piano in general. Then there are a bunch of students and families and what they want in piano lessons that what we want as a teacher just had this disconnect and oh, we realized and yeah, yeah and we're the really uh the first people to get in touch with the market right uh we're not teaching this future conservatory students maybe there are some i i, um, I think clara used to also have some advanced students and eric does too but that's not the majority of the students we deal with. And then we realize, wow, this is the reality of 
of uh, music education and uh, awareness of music education. So we have to do something. We have to talk about it, you know? And then, uh, so instead of meeting uh, just the local teachers, I, I thought, why don't we bring this uh, platform to another level, podcasting? Mm -hmm. That way, we can talk about it on on air, and uh, get we can bring guest speakers mm -hmm. who are doing some amazing work uh, to keep this tradition and maybe um, you know handing down to the next generation. So mm -hmm. that's how we started. Oh, that's so I'm curious. What are I know you mentioned before, and I've I've of course followed your podcast. Uh, basically, since you started it, I'm wondering what are some of the guests that you've brought on and what your um, your direction sort of is? I mean, why are you choosing certain things? What are you trying to promote uh, and get out there for everybody to listen to? And how has that influenced the choice of, uh, of your, you know, of your guest artists? Great. Yeah. Well, let me start first then. Well, first guest was Dr. John Skidmore. So uh, the reason I chose him well, he actually influenced me to start this podcast um, because um, I had a student who was very advanced and, and extremely talented. He is like 11, 12 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And he just was doing a lot of piano competitions. And then one competition he encountered, it was a, a virtual piano competition. It was during the pandemic. And um, so it was, he hit his age where um, just performance anxiety was becoming a, an issue, right? It wasn't like that before where, you know, he can just play anything and just not being nervous. But so then I was like, well, you know, I am a pianist. I know how to deal with anxiety, but maybe I should talk to someone expert in this. And so I, I did some research and I read some articles and, and I encountered this one article. Um, I don't remember the name of the magazine, but it was a piano related art uh, magazine. And then I got in touch with this uh, performance psychologist who lives in Utah. So he was like, you know, uh, I bought his book. He emailed me and called me, Hey, I just uh, saw that you have, you started this vlog about students. Can I come on the show and talk about it? Mm -hmm. Like, you know what? Well, then let me talk to my colleagues, Eric and Clara. And if we want to do this three of us together. So that's how we started. So that's the first guest speaker. And we met several times before we even had the actual interview because it was the first time. So I, I wasn't sure what to do, yeah. but he gave, gave us a lot of ideas and we actually had a very, very good conversation. So that's the start. And then we also invited a second guest, what was a, uh, 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 Vera Selma. Yeah, she she was a nonprofit. She worked. She started this nonprofit organization long time ago in New York City. So yeah, everybody has his or her story. Yeah, but awesome. anyway, Eric or Clara, you want to continue? Yeah, maybe I will say a couple of words um, if that's okay. Uh, yeah, Vera actually, she was also my old boss when I first moved to New York, a young and, uh, you know, hot minded. And uh, so it was very cool. I think we were able to connect with a lot of artists um, in this podcasting platform because a lot of artists and then 
we are not obviously only interviewing musicians, like uh, uh, Kimi said, we interview the psychologists and uh, we are open the school and uh, we also interview some uh, YouTube artists. Uh, one of my former students would happen to be a YouTube sensational. And actually this time when I'm on this trip, in European trip, uh, I was just hanging out with one of our old guests, Paolo. Uh, he's a, a Italian composer. Uh, he teaches at Manhattan School. A clarinetist, a pianist, um, you know, educator, but he also uh, is happening to be here. <laughs> so, and uh, I'm visiting another old guest, uh, uh, Chantel. Actually, right now she's in the hospital, but we're going to go visit her soon. She has a festival right here outside of Milano uh, in Italy. So, and then later on, I'm going to visit another festival, which I will talk, you know, maybe these are people we could interview later on. So it's really a beautiful platform to connect all the musicians, artists in different fields. Yeah, you know, I, I just to add to that real quick, I, I have to, you know, having started this podcast and having worked with Elias and having to work with some just amazing, amazing people, this has been such a revelation for, for me to be able to um to connect with people of, of all sorts you know ours our podcast right. is a little more general and so but but it's been a lot of fun to to you know connect and and really have a meeting of the minds and, and all sorts of different avenues it's been really a remarkable thing for me mm. yeah, yeah. yeah go, I, ahead. I, go ahead Elias. no no you go ahead go ahead okay so i think i would echo that you know we got into this to have something to do during the pandemic you know stay busy because obviously it threw a huge wrench in the life of every musician. Um, but as we got more into it, I mean, like you said, it's just been an amazing platform to connect with other musicians. We decided we wanted to focus on people who were really cutting edge and putting the uh, pushing the industry forward um, because you know classical music is an old tradition. And what we are really interested in is how are people adapting to the pandemic, to the 21st century, to new technology. Um, and so, yeah, we were just able to meet some incredible people and have some incredible conversations. Mm -hmm. that's, that's great. Uh, Clara, let, let me ask you, what, um, yeah. what, what are maybe a couple of, of um, you know, I hate to say tips and tricks, but what are, some, what are a few things that you've gained that, you've, that, that have maybe been um, a new way of looking things or as you've done your podcast, how has it affected your teaching? Oh, it changed a lot of things. I think, first of all, the students are very curious, right? A lot of my, uh, our students now, uh, in my studio, my rational music, a lot of them, they've been with me since they were babies. And a lot of them are now either in high school or in college. One is actually just got admitted into medical school and still wow. practicing. So for them, it's kind of uh, uplifting, right? Because uh, like uh, Yukimi was sharing, or Eric said, they could play really well from early on, but we are not forcing them to become a professional in any way. It's not that they cannot, but you know, just modern day world, it's they don't have to become a professional musician to actually enjoy music. So I think us having the platform and they come to the show, they watch us and they come to join the recital, it gave them away like why am I so busy in high school like Stuyvesant somewhere but yet I'm still practicing my Chopin etudes every day right? right and they said well it's actually kind of cool you know I can be a programmer and I can be like Elon Musk and I can mm -hmm. be a fantastic pianist so these are all the great things 
And also, I think one thing I want to mention, like being on the show, like what you guys are doing today, this is very cool. Um, Paulo was actually just telling me that he went to interview the uh, organizers and the head of the Puccini Festival. And now he wants to do a show and inviting us as the, he, their guests. Um, so to you know explore New York music, classical music theme, uh, combining with Italy. And, that's also very cool. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. Getting different uh, voices in there and and perspectives, perspectives, and, and international ones. Actually, I was wondering. You you, you mentioned that one of the uh, YouTube guests you had was a, is a YouTube influencer, and uh, yeah. was it your former student? Yeah, he's actually based in Malaysia. Yeah, he was my former oh. student at UMass Amherst, and I taught oh. there. Uh, you know, I, I was in the master's program, he was the undergraduate, and uh, long story short, he was just very, he was not really a musician to begin with, but he mm -hmm. played by ear, but somehow that's the beginning of YouTube. And he started oh, wow. uploading vid uh, videos and he became like number one YouTube pianist in Asia for many, wow. many years. <laughs> so it's kind of cool, you know. <laughs> this is Ray Mack, I want to mention for anybody who wants that's to check right. out that episode. Okay. Wow. Absolutely. So that, that's interesting to kind of learning from the students too, what they've done and, and seen where his career has sort of taken off online. Oh, um, for sure. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, and another one of our guests who was really taking advantage of online streaming was Jonathan Ong, who I knew from back in my USC days. And he's actually based in Australia, and he is a Twitch streamer. Um, and, uh, you know, I only heard about, I'm, I'm not on Twitch because it's, it's mainly a video game streaming platform. So I never thought somebody would use that to stream live musical performance, but he describes it as digital busking. And he's actually made oh, an entire, great. yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> he, he sits there and he plays for hours a day and he takes requests from people tuning in and they tip him and he's incredibly talented, an amazing improviser and arranger. Um, so uh, yeah, he actually, I think he quit his university job because he was wow. doing so well on Twitch. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he, but he streams like six, seven hours a day, right? Yeah, he works hard. Yeah. yeah. More than a full-time job. Yeah, <laughs> of course. But do you yeah, know what? You know the old there. saying, you know, if, if you if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So Yeah, amen to that. <laughs> exactly yeah. true. Oh, that's exactly how I feel about doing this project, uh, this podcasting, exactly. because honestly, it's taking a lot. It's almost like a full-time job, this podcast. Because we do twice a month, but we prep mm -hmm. a lot. We study a lot about the guest speakers. And also we do a lot of promotion that takes a lot of a ton of time of the day and we have to look for you know uh, other guests and also we write newsletters monthly newsletters and uh what else don't do forget we all the editing you do oh editing <laughs> yeah. right. Akimi is our oh. biggest video and audio editor yeah. But, yeah, oh, wow. yeah and then also uh we also do uh we we create playlists monthly uh seasonal playlist uh so uh, yeah it's it's a lot of work but uh, just like Mike, I think you said just now that I I, I didn't I don't feel like it, this is a work. It's it's a, such a uh, pleasure and privilege to yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, and a lot of it is is a new way of connecting with with people, connecting mm -hmm. with artists, connecting mm -hmm. with ideas, and and yeah. and that is really 
exciting um, in this space, I think. Exactly. And we have to keep talking about it, you know? Um, so, yeah. And then somehow this wonderful thing of music, especially where piano, so piano playing, tr tradition of piano has to evolve to something more, right? Not to change the entire thing completely, but evolve to something more beautiful and that you can, we can connect a much wider audience and reach out to people. I what, think what, mm -hmm. what do you guys mean? Because Eric, you mentioned that too, you know, being on the cutting edge of, mm -hmm. of um, you know, classical piano playing or yeah. classical piano, I guess, in general. Um, and, you know, what does that kind of look like and, and, and I guess sound like in a way there's sure, you know, that's the, the interesting concept because, because there is this old, old, you know, uh, tradition of piano. And yet, um, it, well, I'll just, I, I just listened to, um, uh, oh, I'm just from, from Mark's thing. No, no, it was, it was from the, the, the Olympics, Hiromi, the jazz pianist. Oh, you're yeah. And her, she, she was amazing. And, and, and she's really taken jazz piano, piano kind of in a new and exciting direction, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and so what does that look like in, in kind of more of the classical realm in your mind? Right. Well, we first of all, we don't just focus on classical. We're interested in all kind of uh, pianistic developments. I mean, Ray mostly does pop and we had on Jim Riddle, who's a jazz pianist. Um, but of course, the three of us, are, our background is classical and we do do a lot of classical. Um, there's a lot of different angles that we cover. Uh, you can be mentioned um, Dr. John Skidmore. Um, he does performance psychology, right? So this mm -hmm. is a, a very new field, especially in music. Right. Um, uh, you mentioned, Mike, the Olympics. Of course, Olympic athletes have been um, studying performance psychology for some decades now, but it's still a relatively new idea in music and particularly classical performance. So that's one area. Uh, we also have people like like uh, Ray Mack and Jonathan Ong taking advantage of new technology and new platforms. Um, another new technology Even Mike. Mike yes. Grande. Yeah, yeah Mike Loud, Grande right? with Rock Out Loud, mm -hmm. um, who he, he has a video conferencing software mm -hmm. that is built from the ground up for musical performance and lessons, as opposed to something like Zoom, which is more business oriented. Um, another example of a technological platform is Tonebase. Uh, we talked to right. Ben Lottie, mm -hmm. who's the director of piano at Tonebase. And this is a, a relatively new website where they um, interview and do lessons and master classes with the biggest names in classical piano and then create this huge database of videos that subscribers can access at any time. So basically you can have a lesson with somebody at the highest levels of um, university education that you wouldn't otherwise have access to unless you were a student there. By the way, that is so huge. And, and now this is like the full democratization of education yes. as a whole. But but music is, is so difficult for that because of, mm. you know, how yep. tactile it is. Mm. Um, and and I think I, but I think that's a world changing thing is, is the idea of taking, you know, Khan Academy, if you will, and, and, and bringing it to to university level kind of music level, the, these other realms of of um, uh yeah, just, just, just getting yeah. the best teachers and the, and the best students together. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, when you talk about the uh, democratization of education, I mean, in a way that started with YouTube, right? Because there's so many right. people learning how to play the piano on YouTube now. 
Um, and so the idea behind tone base is, you know, why don't we give people the best possible um, artists and teachers, um, you know, really cream of the crop um, so that they can trust the information that they're getting because on YouTube, you know, sometimes you never know. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, yeah. I had so many students come to me and go, you play something and, and uh, I go, Hey, where'd you learn that? That's amazing. Where's the music? And they go, Oh, I looked, you know, they did the little MIDI characters on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you I know, mean, which is, it's a new way of, of learning, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure for some students, it's their first stop, especially if it's a song that they pick out themselves that they want to learn by ear. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Even piano companies have developed things, you know, they knew, I mean, I used to work for, for uh, Yamaha for a little bit and some of the new, technology the, the digital pianos are being run on on ipads you know or, or android devices and you can see the there's a little light for each key basically tells you which key to play it doesn't teach you how to play it or what finger to use or the technique but you can basically pick out a song and, and learn it just from an app uh, with, totally. with a new digital piano you don't need a teacher in a way you don't need a teacher at all that's cool so it's cool yeah. and it's scary at the same time you know how do we <laughs> How do we juggle it's, these things? And it's only um, scary if you're afraid of the new. Right, right. How, well, how, right. Do you, how does one stay relevant as a teacher? It's a big challenge. Yeah, that is true. That well, I mean, that's part of the reason we're doing this. You know, we're pushing right. ourselves to mm. adapt. Mm. Um, certainly, the last year showed us that we all need to be able to adapt to potentially great changes in the environment, and um, so this is part of the way we're doing that. Here's a bit of a setup question, but I'm wondering, you know, a lot of the podcasts and pl YouTube platforms or videos and, and sh uh, channels that you see, a lot of them are music based. And I wonder if musicians, uh, I mean, I thought about this and I'd love to get your thoughts. If musicians are already prepped for this kind of, of uh, work, because Yukimi, as you were mentioning, so many things you do behind the scenes, video editing and this and that. Mm -hmm. um, and the preparation you guys do, reading about guests and, and preparing questions and all that, it's, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you don't get paid for. And, and I think musicians are used to that. We practice and practice. We don't get an hourly wage for a practice. We just hope to make enough at a concert uh, for that to you know even out. And if we get, let's say a thousand bucks at a concert, mo most laymen would say, well, that's so much money. And I said, yeah, but it was, it was 200 hours worth of work to put into this concert. So. Um, do you think musicians are really well equipped to handle this new change? That is a great question. So, um, uh, my, one of the guests, uh, uh, his, he is a concert, international concert pianist, Frederick Chu. He really gave us a lot of uh, wisdom about it. Um, he is, so he's a traditional concert pianist. And what's amazing about him is that he already produced 30 CD albums, uh, solo and chamber, but mainly solo. Mm -hmm. But um, his ideas, he, his innovative ideas about piano is just so unlimited. It's just, um, he, um, um, some of the CD albums, uh, he, he did some really quirky some, um, you know, things and so that he can reach out to much wider audience so that classical piano is not this snobby things. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I am answering your question. I, I don't remember 
the question itself. Oh, no, but... you're, you're answering a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, if, okay. if we're well suited, actually, you mentioned Frederick Chu. I love his playing and I, mm -hmm. I think I have his uh, Chopin Etudes CD, mm -hmm. uh, but he's, he's produced so many things and he is a different kind of artist and he, uh, you know, he pushes the boundaries, I think. Exactly. And right. just, you know, are we sort of, are we as musicians su suited to this new, just doing new things and, and putting the work in because we're just mm -hmm. used to that with our own careers. Right. You know, and I then what, so. what, what was amazing about is that um, he is knowledgeable about so many different things, not just piano, but he right. is so into technology too. I just saw his um, live stream a couple months ago. Um, so it was very audience engaging, fun events that he created. And then the audience actually can vote which song which piece <laughs> spoke to yeah. us you know that, that's, that's cool. something yeah that's it's, cool. it's amazing but you know he is the one who taught me about you as a 21st pian pianist century pianist you have to have many different kinds of knowledge not just playing the piano mm -hmm. yeah and I think it was called a classical smackdown or something like <laughs> to that extent, right? Yeah, it was really cool. I, and we I got so that. excited. Everybody wants to win, you know? Mm -hmm. It was so cool. It's, it's so like, engaging. It's like I when know. you go to those piano bars, they have dueling pianos. That's a big thing. Exactly. And it's like, what, yep. what? There's not a big deal. I've I've heard them, of course, for me, maybe my snobbish ears. I don't know. But I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> this is not my type of thing. But the, people eat it up, you know? <laughs> Oh, well, he does the dueling piano, but both sides of it himself. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. You know, we we had a, recently a, a Thomas Rosencrantz on, and and mm -hmm. he he does a lot of uh, um, you know kind of more modern music, and and there is this new, um, I guess I guess as we talk about you know modern concert music, I don't I even hate see art music. I don't like using the word classical. It's, it's, it's weird, but but as we talk about modern music for for performance um you know it is it, the idea of, of bringing technology and bringing in different genres bringing in different um ideas to kind of um say something that's never been said before uh, you know it seems to be do you find that that that's a kind of a unique um uh, or or something that that we're going to see threat. more of in the future ah that's a very good question um, okay, so there's two kind of balancing forces here. There's every artist's individual kind of reason to be, and then there's what the audience wants, right? And there's, right. there may or may not be a tension between that, depending on the artist and the audience. Um, certainly, technology is playing a big role in modern music and art, and will continue to do so. At the same time, there's always an audience uh, for you know the traditionalists. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we're kind of interested in the merger of that. Um, you know, I just wanted to say before, just as a very basic example of how things don't stay the same, even in the classical piano tradition, uh, the repertoire has changed over the years. Um, and what was once standard rep a hundred years ago, some of that's fallen out and has been replaced by newer pieces. So it's just natural for things to be in flux and for the tradition to be evolving. And um, so that's what we're kind of trying to get a beat on, you know, how mm. are people, how are people adapting? What are they finding success with? How are people, you know, using new artistic means to find new means of expression, that sort of thing. You know, I, it's interesting and music, um, 
sometimes I think people, uh, well, I think um, we like, we like to classify things. And so, um, and so when we take music and we, we um, subdivide it so many times, I'm not thinking of more, you know, pop and rock music where you have like 45 different styles of metal, (laughs) you know? Sure. Yeah. And, and and I had a, um, uh, in fact, I, I had a, a band over here tonight we were, we were playing some just some music and, and we were talking afterwards about how they you know we'd go to concerts back in back in the day and you'd have these very different genres of music playing on the same bill and mm. and it allowed for more um exposure i guess and and um you know but you don't see that today you don't see that you know specifically in the pop or rock world or jazz like like if you're if you're gonna you're going to see a band you're gonna see three other bands that sound almost identical and um um, and you know the classical world the the concert world the 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 art world it seems you know i wonder if, if we have a tendency to subdivide in the same way and and um you know instead of having really disparate ideas going on in a, in a concert setting, you know, really focusing in. And, and I can see the, the reason for both, but it's, it's just an interesting idea that, that seems to be floating in my head. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to talk about there. Um, I think what you're talking about is kind of a byproduct of the internet age. You know, there's a lot of talk nowadays, even just about how people get their news and how everyone's kind of isolated in their own bubble, uh, own like-minded bubble, you know, whatever you believe, people just naturally tend to gravitate towards what they like. Um, And then the internet allows you to spend as much time as you want in that bubble. So it's the same kind of thing with artistic taste. Once you figure out what you like, you know, you may end up with this playlist that is all of one genre. Um, At the same time, you know, with globalization, we've seen such um, uh, merging and um, cross-pollination of different cultures and cultural influences. Um, if you just look at pop, for example, um, they draw from all different genres and uh, old traditions, and they find ways to make them new again. Um, and a lot of a lot of artists and creative types, such as myself, are really drawn to that whole idea of, you know, take a little bit from here and a little bit from here and mix them together, and what do we get? You know, um, speaking as an American um, and as a um, you know biracial person. I've always been really interested in what we can gain from that kind of cultural mixture. Right. So there, I, I mean, there's, there's people who are doing that and there are audiences who are interested in that. So the potential is definitely there. It's a lot to think about. I love it. Yeah. I'm just thinking too, I, I want to go back a little bit to the comment you made about, uh, um, I guess, classical music, and the, the the diversity of it, uh, and that things are changing. They're always in flux, and and of course the classical tradition, let's say, is is in a way much older than the pop tradition. Although popular music has always been, you know, part of culture as well. But the classical concert tradition seems to be such a a relic today. And I think pianists such as myself are trying to keep that alive, but also infuse it with new with new blood. Uh, and I think. 150 years ago, you know, music or repertoire was coming in and out of fashion was was very fast. I think the last 75 years or whatever, 
it's kind of stayed. You know, a few new pieces have gotten in there. Uh, I think audiences today are a little bit hesitant to listen to quote unquote modern music or new music. Uh, they they always have been. I, I just think things are changing so rapidly. It's hard to be uh, in in connection with new audiences. So uh, a few pieces get into that core repertoire, but maybe not as much as they would have in uh, in the 19th or early 20th centuries, where things were changing so fast and so much. Um, I wonder if the digital age is going to either help change classical piano music uh, and and infuse it with more things and and kind of broaden it, or that that whole generation that grew up with it or or, is, or loves it is just gonna you know die off and the new generation is gonna like totally new things yeah i don't know yeah well i feel like i need to bring up first of all i know i'm talking a lot and i want to get clara and yukimi back in here but just to answer your question elias i feel like i need to bring up the fact that we need to remember that classical music is by and large the popular music of the past Mm -hmm. and this That's is true yeah yeah and this is true of many other genres as well i mean uh you can't really call rock and roll popular music anymore because this is the popular music of 50s 60s 70s 80s you know not so much now um jazz was once popular music now considered extremely niche yeah right yep and a lot of classical music is really the popular music of the 19th century um so um so classical musicians are kind of keeping that tradition alive just as jazz and rock and roll artists are in their own respective traditions so i feel like that's kind of the um the angle you want to be taking when you consider these questions right um yeah so i would start there yeah and I, I just want to, you know, I, as I'm listening to this great conversation, I'm thinking about this yeah. afternoon while I'm walking around Milano, right? Looking at, we went to this church where the Last Supper of uh, uh, Da Vinci, uh, you know, was, and I tried to get in, no tickets yet. And then on the side, you know, there's this giant poster of a uh, Korean pop, uh, the, the boy band, what is called? BTS, exactly. Those guys are everywhere. <laughs> right. I was like, I came, I was like, is there a concert happening right now or anything? And my, my dear friend Polo, he's like, oh, I'm not sure today, but I can ask my niece. She's really into BTS. That's all she listens to. Oh, that's I'm, so funny. I'm thinking, <laughs> I came to I came to Italy to find a new name of the classical music and all of this thing BTS, you know. Next next thing you know, you're gonna be going to a McDonald's. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You never know. Well, there's a funny place yes. <laughs> that's awesome oh that's beautiful but i guess um there's a way to reach out to newer generations and newer listeners with what we have so as i said frederick true has this creative ideas of idea of programming and i think I've, i'm seeing a lot more similar like this uh where each concert has a theme and bringing in more um, composers that you have never heard of. Um, some, some wants to bring more female com com uh, pieces by female composers, for example, or 
compo compositions by African-American composers, for example. Mm -hmm. So people are trying to do that. And, and also, I think uh, when we talked with Jim Riddle, uh, who is a jazz pianist, he was our guest and he uh, just, he is my jazz piano teacher. I started learning. Mm -hmm. Anyways, cool. he says, there is more integration going on. Uh, jazz is influenced by classical, and, mm -hmm. and then also as some of the Debussy pieces are inf influenced by jazz, for example. So there, there, there is integration. So that's something that we can also maybe see oh, yeah. in the future, you know? And that's a wonderful perspective because it is, if you think about it more of a, of a conversation over time, as opposed to, you know, competing genres, mm -hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like, I'm, I'm taking what you, it's almost like this conversation where I'm taking what you said, adding my little perspective and, and we all kind of grow, you know, exponentially yeah. from that. Yes, exactly. And they, you, so I think that's also changing the way the piano, pedagogies, um, piano teachers are thinking. So I think Eric knows more than I do, but there are lots of new uh, piano method books out there, but that is not traditional anymore. The approach is so changing, right, Eric? Right. Well, I would say um, a big part of that is we've learned so much about child psychology and how children's brains develop in the last couple of decades. And as a result, the pedagogy has had to change. So if you go back 50 years, most of the piano teaching methods were very reading centric and they start the kids right on the staff and then they introduce a lot of information at once. And even just visually to look at on the page, there's just so much information even aside from the music. Um, and now we understand that kids, especially young kids don't receive information well that, that way. And that in fact, learning music is a lot more like learning a language and if you think about how you learn a language as a baby and then a toddler, first you listen, then you speak, and then reading comes much later. Um, so just as an example of the way things have changed, um, the more modern methods Yeah, are, and then integrating more different genres in the method. That book, too, right? mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah. So they, they start uh, kind of with ear training first and technique, um, but also uh, bringing a lot of different genres um, to kind of, you know, make it more accessible. That is exciting. Do, do you think that kind of seems a little reminiscent of the uh, Suzuki method, or at least how it was taught in Japan? Yes. I don't know if it translated well to uh, to the U.S., but <clears throat> the fact that you're doing a lot more technique, posture, um, listening, oral skills, and learning rote, by rote, yeah, yeah, rote learning, and then right. you read music. Yeah, so I think Suzuki really had the right idea, and he was kind of a pioneer in that area. Um, uh, I don't have a ton of experience with Suzuki. I'm not Suzuki trained, so I just have kind of rudimentary understanding of what happens. So I do not claim to represent the Suzuki method. But my understanding is that the method that he designed works really well in an environment where first of all you're able to have group lessons because he originally designed it for string instruments uh it's a little bit more difficult to get together eight pianos in a room um and uh and also the parents are constantly working with the kids um which i you know i pretty much recommend for young students anyway but it's not always possible with every student um 
And also, again, the Suzuki method is quite old. We've learned some new things since then. But I think he was really on the right track for sure. But one also, one last thing, I, I was just thinking a few of the guests that we interviewed, for example, uh, uh, Selena, um, what's her last name? Yeah. Perstressi, right? She yeah. specializes in teaching children with uh, uh, special needs or um, what was a neurodiverse uh, students, right? Yes. And also James Radican, who is in charge of, um, uh, um, what is it called, America? Um, so America Productions? Exactly. So they put on these concerts for, you know, students or musicians that might, might not have a chance to ever perform in Carnegie Hall, right, to perform. And so I think it's the broad uh, way of music education these days. Like, again, speaking of myself, like I grew up in China. So like I, in the Long Long era, it's like mm. if you don't become Long Long, you shouldn't play. Right. Mm. But now it's so different and uh, one of the this great uh, meditation teacher that we uh, all studied a little bit from um uh, madeline bruiser and she teaches professional musicians to meditate to kind of find the calmness right so all of this is uh, very different i think from the past right how we were almost trained in, in such way you know sometimes all, like uh, olympic champions right it's like you have to be certain certain way to to be there but i think today it's changing which is great to see yeah and we've had other guests on we've talked about um just the the fact that conservatories that life maybe isn't really preparing us or teaching us the things we need to know uh and for various reasons i mean uh we, we look at sports we often have sports analogies for music and uh it doesn't it doesn't always work uh partly because we don't have the infrastructure they, they do. You know, sports teams, you always have a, a team doctor, you have a team psychologist, you know, you have a team trainer or many team trainers. Uh, musicians or orchestras, they, they don't have those kinds of things. They don't have uh, somebody on staff that does Alexander Technique and massages, you know, after all the concerts. They don't have somebody on staff that deals with the psychology of performance, you know. Um, and we, we need to have that sort of thing. And I think... When, uh, when we're trained at conservatories, most of the old guard, let's say it's, okay, how do you play this piece? Um, and since piano is so difficult and it, it has so much literature, you know, more, much more than any other instrument, uh, except maybe the voice, um, there, there's almost no time for those other things or they're, they're separate classes that nobody takes seriously. So I, I don't know, I'm just putting that out there. I don't have any solution yet, but I think what we're all talking about is helping us arrive at some sort of solution. You know, Elias, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. I, I had on, um, just to kind of keep the sports analogy going a little bit, I had on a, a friend of mine from high school, we were talking about old, you know, <laughs> good old high school football days. And one of the things he mentioned was, you know, even the idea of hydration, you know, back 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 when, when, when I played football, you know, that was almost um, held over over you as a punishment you know like if, if you're if you're if you were thirsty but you can suck it up you know you were uh um you know you weren't tough enough or, or whatever and, and and you had to do certain things in order to, to to get the reward of actually going and getting a drink of water well now we've learned you know how and and we've learned how important hydration is to the body and all these sorts of things and and i think that carries on into the music world as well you know if if um, if all we're doing is focusing on certain techniques and certain pieces and, and, and getting to be really proficient at certain things, 
and we miss, um, you know, the, the, you know, quote hydration part of life, um, you know, we're going to miss, miss out on, on, you know, a lot and, and miss the whole point and, and possibly injure ourselves or do psychological damage. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to what I think you're saying, Elias. Yeah, guys. So, um, there's some, some great things I can talk about here. Um, this actually kind of leads into our season two a bit because um, I, I can't divulge the names just yet, but we got some big plans to have on um, some uh, a guest from top level uh, conservatory. And, uh, you know, I haven't myself been in university or conservatory for many years, so I feel quite out of touch. I know that they're trying um, to adapt to, you know, the current realities of performance um, and, uh, you know, having a, the, the music industry and having a musical career. Uh, certainly, it's never easy. Um, just as an example, I know um, USC, where I went for my master's, uh, soon after I left, they started um, actually a popular music degree. Um, of course, they're based in LA, so um, they're a little bit more entertainment oriented than some other universities might be. Uh, I know people are trying new things. So we're going to have on, um, like I said, some guests from top level conservatories to see how they are adapting. At the same time, um, the, a friend of mine wants to discuss what he sees as the failings in higher level education, uh, like you were talking about, Ilias, and are we really preparing these students enough? And I'm uh, personally, I've always felt this kind of disconnect or a little bit of cognitive dissonance at the fact that there's so many music schools that graduate so many students every year and there's just not that much work in the industry, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, so are, are we setting these, these people up for failure? I think there's this kind of idea that where there's a will, there's a way and you know, people are gonna kind of float to the top if they're, they're meant to do it, but maybe there's a more, a more gentle or compassionate approach. Maybe we need more resources um you know to to help train these musicians um maybe there really is just not that much room in the market and fewer people should be going into it but there's certainly a lot to discuss there and we're definitely planning on getting into that in our oh, next that, season that's going to be great yeah because i yeah. think i think that's the other part of this changing um realm is the changing market itself you know music has become you know more of a Commodity. less less of an art more of a commodity right you know it's something to be to be listened to while you're um you know doing something else or right. or in, in back of a tv show or something like that it's not necessarily meant to be listened to on its own anymore um, yeah absolutely um you know i've uh, as a composer i've been working on some new projects lately and the last few years i've been doing a lot of scores for animations and I got used to writing music to accompany a visual. Um, I'm finding it's really difficult to kind of break out of that idiom now and write music that stands on its own. Um, and I feel like I see that a lot in the current artistic environment. I feel like movie scores aren't as memorable as they used to be. Like the other day, um, I just, uh, I was introducing one of my students to Alan Silvestri. I think because he found a song, which I believe was from the movie Beowulf, he, he introduced that to me in his lesson. And I was like, oh, well, Alan Silvestri is one of the greatest Hollywood composers of all time. You know, right. should... So then I showed him the, the soundtrack to Back to the Future. And, uh, and Alan Silvestri, of course, did all the Avengers movies as well. And 
uh, and like I feel like the score Back to the Future is so memorable um, and exciting and, and visceral, and um, I just don't get that same feeling from a lot of modern soundtracks. And um, and I was watching some some recent pop music videos that had incredible, such imaginative um, visuals, and even in these music videos that were you know they're made for musicians i felt like the music was accompanying the visuals um mm. i kind of feel like that's more the paradigm of our time and it's uh it's difficult to get back to music first um that's that's what i'm trying to work on right now as a composer and i'm struggling with that that's awesome that's really interesting really interesting these are great great ideas great thoughts we we should have uh more discussions on some of these these sidelines i wish we could sure Absolutely. We really need to, um, you know, I, I just to uh, kind of finish up, uh, you came, you mentioned uh, you guys are, are now, you know, opening up, um, especially in New York, you're starting to open up more things are, things are happening. You're having recitals. Can you uh, uh, talk to a little bit about, about what you guys are planning to do? And, oh, and yes. Sure. So we not only we're doing podcasting together, but we also do a joint solo concert. So uh, back in May, we did the first joint recital uh, uh, live streaming from our own home. And then each of us played a couple of pieces and I played Brahms Sonata, Eric played Debussy Preludes, and then Clara played several different pieces like by Bach and Sanson and Bartok and etc. So uh, it was great. Uh, we collaborated with this uh, group of people, uh, Haiti. Uh, they are, uh, I guess, Clara, they are a group of, it seems like uh, they do similar like podcasting um right yeah mm -hmm. they yeah. they are a group of people that met through a personal development seminar who also study a lot of uh, philosophy and uh, during the pandemic they just decided to interview uh, all kinds of people from musicians to artists to you know sports people medicine doctors um you know all kinds of so yeah it was beautiful actually yeah, to yeah. collaborate Sure. And then so they were able to bring in a lot of audience uh, for the live stream. So we live stream it on YouTube and Facebook. So then uh, we're now we're going to do is to have this old Broadway themed concert in uh, probably November. Uh, we're going to do the live, the in-person concert and live stream that venue allows us to do both. So we're very excited. We're going to celebrate the, um, you know, Broadway uh, uh, is coming back in September. So we're going to celebrate and we're going to do all Broadway uh, piano uh, live um, transcriptions of uh, Broadway pieces. Oh, that's so. gonna be so fun. Yeah. Yes. It's gonna be so fun. Um, I wanted to, by the way, this is, uh, you're listening to End of Love Remains. We've got the host, the co-hosts of the, the Piano Pod podcast. Um, I want to thank each and every one of you for, for being on the show, sharing your perspective and, and um, getting to know you guys a little bit. We'd love to have you on again. Um, Clara, let's start with Clara, then Yukimi, then Erica. Can you guys uh, tell us a little bit, um, if people want to know more information about yourself, if you have a website, um, quickly a couple maybe a project or two you, you want to share with the audience I'd love to, to give you that opportunity oh sure thank you uh yeah so 
Uh, again, my name is Clara Zhang, and I am the owner and the co-founder of uh, Rational Music Studios. Uh, so the studio is on our side, and you can look us up on the internet. We are everywhere, but uh, I'm very excited to be uh, collaborating with Eric and Kimi this last year and a half. Um, so yeah, that's me. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic, Kimi. Yes. Sorry. I um, can you repeat the question again? I'm sorry. Oh, just, just, just. <laughs> if people want to know more about you, about your studio, if they, they want to, if, uh, if they want more information about any projects or anything that that you have that that you want to share. Okay. Sure. Uh, I am trying to do a lot more solo concerts in the in, in the future. So I am planning to do all nocturne recital, solo recital sometime soon. And uh, nocturnes from Fields to Clara Schumann to uh, uh, Lieberman, uh, who is the uh, really latest uh, hottest composer of our time and also I'm, I'm teaching online right now so anybody who wants to play I, I teach not only classical but I teach uh, somewhat jazzy things too so I am trying to help students to discover what music means to them so that's my approach so anyone who wants to take lessons just look me up <laughs> right on thank you Eric yeah, um, so my I have two websites. Uh, erichuntermusic.com is my musician website and Eric Hunter Music Studio is my teaching website. Um, I teach both in person and virtually. Um, and right now I just started a new project a couple of weeks ago, which is I'm working on a concept album for the first time based on the trilogy of uh, the three body problem books. Um, and oh, uh, yeah, I think I might be working on that for a long time. It's a big <laughs> project, um, but that's that's what I'm up to right now. Wow, wonderful! And, and your piano podcast is there? Uh, we'll put yes. the website yeah. in the program notes. But uh, if you want to just talk about or mention that, yeah, sure. So our website is yeah. thepianopod.com, and there you can get all our latest news, see our socials if you want to follow us, and there are links to all the episodes, um, which you can get the audio version on pretty much every podcasting platform. And we also have a YouTube channel um, where you can watch the show because we do video as well as audio. Awesome. Great. Fantastic. Well, thank you each of you for, for being on our show and, and sharing your insight. It's been, it's been a lot of fun for me. Um, Elias, thank you very much for, for helping putting this together. Oh, it's been great. I love it. Thank, thank you, you so guys. Much. This has thank been awesome. Thank you so much for having us. You're welcome. Uh, my name is Mike Levitt, and you've been listening to And If Love Remains. <laughs>